And welcome to Casting Nets, dear listener. Casting Nets about a real life and living faith, which is yours in Christ. You see, when you have Christ, your life is really going to be real. It's going to be the real deal. It's not going to be some fake life. It's going to be real living, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of sorrow and pain. It is a real life. Uh, the faith that we are given is a an old faith, an ancient faith, but it is a living faith because it is fed through the living word of God, whether that is in his word or in his sacraments. So what a wonderful time that we have together to be uh, listening to God's word and to be thinking about our faith that is alive, that is active, that it is doing something such as prayer. During a Lent, perhaps you are thinking more about the things of God I know I am, I know, I've been doing Lent for 40-some years, but still, every Lent is an opportunity for me to reflect on something, uh, maybe bring my faith to, what, what what shall we say, the next level, um, whatever that might be, just trying to make our walk with God uh, one that is more devoted, a walk with God that is more disciplined. Um, and so things like fasting, come to mind, fasting not in the sense of having beer-battered fish on Friday, you know, that's not quite a sacrifice if you really ask me, but the idea of having either adding something to your life or taking something away. So, for example, if you're going to add something, perhaps you're going to add 30 minutes more of the day to read the Bible, you're going to wake up 30 minutes earlier, so you're adding something, but that also means you're depriving yourself of something else. Maybe staying up late is not on the docket, Maybe you have to deprive yourself of a little bit of sleep so that you can do these things. Or uh, you are taking something away from your life. So, for example, uh, going to a simple supper at church on Wednesdays uh, because you are using the money that you're saving on groceries to help uh, the, those who are less fortunate, fortunate. Either way, fasting is something that we have given to us. It's something that we do in Christian freedom. And so uh, don't take anything I've said here as some sort of law, but encouragement and guidance for you, dear listener, during your Lenten walk. Today we are continuing our series on the Lord's Prayer. We're talking today about the three kingdoms of God and how they interact with one another. The kingdom of power, the kingdom of grace, and the kingdom of glory. These kingdoms interact with each other and also interact with the kingdoms of this earth. We'll talk more about that. We'll have a question and answer session. Our question for today is, how does God's kingdom interact with the governments of this world? Lots of interesting stuff today. Um, I'm glad to be able to share these with you. I'm also um, glad to hear your input and your conversation with me, you can uh, talk to myself or Pastor Will Harley, the other host of the program at St. John and Maribel. You can talk to us in person. 
Uh, for me, that's at Emmanuel in Shirley. You can email us at castingnetspod at gmail.com. You can also go on our Facebook page. Lots of opportunities for you to talk to us because that really is the goal of this podcast is to have a conversation, conversation between us and you and you and us uh, as we go through God's word together, as we think about the things of God together, as we put the, the life that we have been given to, through Christ uh, and we, we look at the mess that is in our life as well and we try to match those things and our faith, which is alive and fed through the word of God, how does our faith interact with this real life that you, that God has given to us uh, through his means of grace? That being said, if there is something that you don't like to hear, talk to us. You can also listen to something else. You're saying, well, this just doesn't interest me at this time. Yeah, it doesn't hurt our feelings. Uh, we don't know who exactly we're broadcasting to or where they are in their walk with God. And so we are just uh, <laughs> preaching into the darkness, hoping that the light of Christ finds a home in your heart as well. Today we're looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer. We're also adding a hymn, uh, The Lamb, which I believe is in the new hymnal. I know it was in the supplement and was well-received uh, when it was introduced in the supplement. So we're going to put that hymn in. It's a Lenten hymn, and it uh, fits a little bit with when we're talking about God's kingdoms today. May the Lord bless our time together. Thy kingdom come. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, we are reminded that our Heavenly Father, who has made us His adopted children by bringing us to faith in Jesus Christ, He is also a King. This morning we want to look at our Father's kingdoms. The word king brings to mind a ruler. A king is ruler over a certain group of people in a certain geographical area of the world. His kingdom is limited. He can only get it so big. He can only control a certain uh, amount of space. There are enemies that uh, invade his kingdom and take portions away, so he's limited. He can't rule over everything in this world. But our Heavenly Father's kingdom is not limited. He has absolute dominion over all things. His kingdom extends over all things, heaven with all of its glory and earth that all it contains. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's Psalm 24, verse 1. The Lord is a great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. That's Psalm 95. Our Father's rule over all things is known as his kingdom of power. In this kingdom of power, God has always exercised kingship. There never was, nor will there ever be, a time when God will not exercise his power and rule over all things. He has ruled over all things from eternity and will continue to rule all things through eternity. God, our Heavenly Father, has another kingdom 
This kingdom is of a time and has to do especially with the affairs of sinful humankind. This kingdom is known as the kingdom of grace. In this kingdom, God's sphere of activity is chiefly in the hearts and lives of the human race. Its purpose, though, it, through the activity of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, to make people heavenly-minded here in this world, and thus having fitted them for heaven, to finally lead them to their permanent home. This kingdom is also known as the kingdom of heaven. Another name for this kingdom of grace is the church. It is this kingdom of grace that we refer to when we confess, I believe, in the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. The members of the Holy Christian Church have been called out, separated from the world, and consecrated to serve God. God established the kingdom of grace when he sent down his Son to become man's substitute. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became a man, and thus by becoming a man, he submitted himself to the law of God. Jesus fulfilled the law of God perfectly in mankind's place. He endured the terrible consequences of man's sin, so that men might escape the eternal wrath of God. Then when his work on earth was finished, Jesus returned to heaven. After the ascension of Jesus, God the Father sent his Holy Spirit in rich measure upon the church. Through the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit works faith in the hearts of believers, making them children of God and members of God's kingdom of grace. Although the kingdom of God deals with mankind and is made up of men, women, and children, it is not a physical kingdom. Although we worship in a church building and we join together with other churches to form an outward organization for the promotion of the gospel, the kingdom of grace still is a spiritual entity. Once when Jesus was asked when the kingdom of God would come, he told his listeners, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, Here it is, or There it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. God's kingdom of grace consists of truth and justice, righteousness, holiness, purity, and the practice of those wonderful virtues. Then the result will be peace, hope, and joy. These are the things that make up the kingdom of God. That's what Paul meant when he wrote, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This kingdom of grace will come to an end the time which we will enjoy the kingdom of God's grace will come to an end. For us as individuals, the kingdom of grace ends at our death. For the entire world, the kingdom of grace will come to an end on Judgment Day. On that day, the kingdom of grace will end and the kingdom of glory will begin. While the kingdom of grace embraces all people, for God wants all people to be saved, the kingdom of glory, on the other hand, will only be enjoyed by believers. Only those who during their lifetime have placed their faith and trust in Jesus as their Savior will enter into the kingdom of glory. To all believers, Jesus will say on the last day, Come, you who are blessed by my, by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So, when we pray, Thy kingdom come, which kingdom are we asking to come? Do we pray for the kingdom of power to come? Do we pray for the kingdom of grace to come? Or do we pray for the kingdom of glory to come? When we pray, thy kingdom come, 
we are not praying for the coming of the kingdom of power, for all things are already in this kingdom. We are, however, praying for the coming of God's kingdom of grace and of glory. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, we are acknowledging that God's kingdom certainly comes by itself even without our prayer, but we pray that it may come to us and to many others. In answering this question, how does God's kingdom come, Martin Luther wrote, God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives his Holy Spirit, so that by his grace we believe his holy word and lead a godly life now on earth and forever in heaven. When we pray thy kingdom come, we are asking our Heavenly Father to extend his kingdom of grace and of glory here on earth. We are asking our Heavenly Father to send forth laborers into his harvest field. We are asking him to send forth pastors and missionaries into areas which are ready to hear the word of God. We are asking God to send forth uh, his messenger to the people in this country and throughout the world so that all may hear the good news of salvation, the good news of Jesus. When this is done, his kingdom, God's kingdom, will be extended, his kingdom of grace and his kingdom of glory. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, we are making a special request of our Heavenly Father. We're asking Him to include us in His kingdom of grace and to include us in His kingdom of glory. This request really makes a statement about who we are. We're, we're making a statement that we need to be included in God's kingdom. We're, we're making a statement that by ourselves we cannot enter nor can we remain in God's kingdom by ourselves. We're in a sense saying that we cannot, by our own thinking or choosing, believe in Jesus Christ our Lord or come to him. We need to have our Heavenly Father send his Holy Spirit to continue to strengthen the faith which he has already created in our heart, so that we will remain in that faith until we enter the kingdom of glory. Being in the kingdom of God's grace does not mean that we will obtain perfection in this life. Although our spirit is willing to follow our Lord and Savior, our flesh is weak and rebels against doing the will of God. Therefore, when we pray, Thy kingdom come, we are asking our Heavenly Father to help us improve our lives, to strengthen our faith. We also ask God to help us avoid everything that would hinder us from giving ourselves completely to Him. Thy kingdom come is a mission prayer. There are countless millions who are not believers, that is, they're not part of God's kingdom of grace. They're still groping around in the darkness of sin and unbelief. Unless they are told about Jesus and what he had done for them, they will spend all eternity in the darkness and suffering of hell. So whenever we pray this petition, whenever we pray, Thy kingdom come, we are asking our Heavenly Father to bless the work of proclaiming his word to others. We are asking him to open the ears and understanding of others so that they may be brought into God's kingdom of grace and then God's kingdom of glory. When we pray for the expansion of God's kingdom here on earth, we are also offering ourselves as our Father's instruments. We are asking our Heavenly Father to make us active in expanding his kingdom. We're asking him to use us as his instruments and in proclaiming his word to others. We are promising that we will use our gifts to expand his kingdom here on earth. Finally, the words, Thy kingdom come, are words of comfort. As we go about doing our Father's business, we will be met with discouragements, disappointments, and doubts. 
we will find that although our spirit is willing to speak to others about their Savior, our flesh is weak and gives gives us all different kinds of excuses why we can't do the Lord's work. We will find that when we speak to others about Jesus, some will be indifferent to him. Some will even call us names. Others will flatly refuse to hear what we have to say. We're tempted to ask, why? Why should I tell anyone about God or his son, Jesus Christ? They are not even interested. When these discouragements, disappointments, and doubts come our way, we recall those words, thy kingdom come, and we are reminded that the work we are doing is not our work, but it's the work of our Heavenly Father. It's his kingdom that we are instrumental in expanding. He will bless our efforts and richly reward them. He will deliver us from every discouragement, disappointment, and doubt, and in the end will lead us to his kingdom of glory. With hope, with faith in our heart, we look forward to that time, and we pray, Thy kingdom come. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. The Lenten hymn called The Lamb.
how does God's kingdoms interact with the kingdoms of this earth? Earlier today, we talked about the three different kingdoms of God, the kingdom of power, the kingdom of grace, and the kingdom of glory. God's kingdom of power is God's rule over everything, everything in heaven and everything on earth. God's kingdom of grace is his rule in our hearts as he brings people to faith through the work of the Holy Spirit and through word and sacrament. And God's kingdom of glory is what's going to happen at the end of the world when he takes believers to be with him and creates a new heaven and a new earth. So to answer that question, how does God's kingdom interact with the governments of this world? First of all, we talk about the kingdom of power. God rules over all things. Uh, In the Bible, it tells us that God rules over all things for the good of his church. And this is found in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet, that's Jesus. God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's how God's kingdom of power interacts with the government of this world. God rules everything for the good of his church and the good of his people. God's kingdom of grace, on the other hand, is his rule in our hearts through the power of his word, through the Holy Spirit working through that word to extend his rule into our hearts and our lives. So Christians live in God's kingdom of grace and they live under the governments of this world. Christians have been interacting with the government, especially with the new requirement put out by the Department of Health and Human Services. They announced that it will they will require all health care plans, including those provided by religious organizations, to include coverage for contraceptives, abortive drugs, and medical procedures that are contrary to the doctrinal positions of many Christian churches and denominations. This is a very clear and and a very real threat to religious liberty. So what is our role as a Christian, as a part of God's kingdom of grace when it comes to government? The Bible gives us the answer. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Peter says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as to the supreme authority, or to governors which are, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong. So there we go. That's what Peter has to say. Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So Paul encourages us, Peter encourages us, to submit ourselves to the governing authorities in all respects except for one. And that's found in Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. In a nutshell, and when it comes to God's kingdom of grace and the kingdoms of this world, God's kingdom of grace submits itself to the governments of this world, except when those governments and those kingdoms of this world are against what God has said. And so that's what puts Christians in a bind here with this contraceptive mandate uh, for church organizations that they have to provide something which church bodies morally are against. So we encourage Christians uh, in a a country such as ours, which has religious liberty, and in our first 
uh, Bill of Rights, the ability, the freedom to actually practice our religion. So we encourage our government to follow its laws. Uh, when it comes to God's kingdom of grace, we submit ourselves to government, and we also we pray for our government. I didn't mention that before, uh, but that's actually coming up in our series when we get to give us this day our daily bread. Do you have a question for the Voice of the Redeemer? I invite you to look online. Our website is RedeemerPeer.net. That's RedeemerPeer.net, R-E-D-E-E-M-E-R, Peer.net. You can look on our Facebook page, Voice of the Redeemer. Type that in on your Facebook and you'll find us. You can also give us a call, 605-224-5201. 605-224-5201. Thank you for joining us this morning for The Voice of the Redeemer. If you're searching for answers in your faith life, we invite you to feed your faith each week with The Voice of the Redeemer. And if you're looking for a family of believers, you found them at Redeemer Lutheran Church. Come, join us. We're located at 813 North Millette Avenue in Pier. You can find us on the web at RedeemerPier.net. Join us next week for The Voice of the Redeemer. Thanks for listening to Casting Nets. Next time we're going to be talking about the hardest prayer to pray. What is the hardest prayer to pray, Pastor Rudat? Thy will be done. It certainly was a hard prayer for Jesus to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. It can also be a hard prayer for us to pray in our uh, Gethsemanes, whenever and wherever they may be. Our question that we will ask and answer is, if it is God's will that people believe in Jesus, why doesn't he just make everyone believe in Jesus? We'll talk about that next week as well. In the meantime, in your real life, life filled with its ups and downs, life looking forward to Jesus' return in glory, live your faith through Jesus Christ, who is your life, who gives your faith a foundation who gives your faith activity and life so that it can live in this world um, as we look forward to his coming at the end of time. Empowered by God's word, may we live in this real life with a living faith. Mm-hmm.